no, my brothers and sisters, I'm speaking to people who know the law, that the law has authority over a person only as long as he lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. So then if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she's an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Hallelujah. That's not in there, but it should be. (laughs) What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Don't even start saying that. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the Lord had not said, don't covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring me life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means, don't even start. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. I know nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. But I cannot carry it out, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner good being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind making me prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I in my mind am a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Father, we have come to these holy words. Lord, we have come to these words that are ancient to us, written thousands of years ago, Lord, and yet so meaningful. 
Lord, we love you and we love your law. Lord, we want to please you. Father, we want to to make you smile. And when we see you, we want you to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And yet so often, Lord, we we find ourselves in agreement with Paul as we read chapter 7. Lord, would you show us now the way of life? Lord, would you show us what you would have us hear from this passage? Lord, reveal to us the purpose of your law. Because, Lord, we want to please you. Holy Spirit, make this real to us, we pray. Give me the right words to say, Father. Change us, Lord. Amen. Chapter 7 is, is an interesting passage of Romans. Um, just hands up, who here thinks it's one of their favorite passages? Quite a few people. And I bet it's that last little bit. Because for me, or for years, I've always thought, oh, what an encouragement. As Paul is able to write this, what a wretched man am I, says Paul. Wow, if Paul can say that, then, then so can I. But, but really, what, what is Paul on about in this passage? What does he want to say to us? Remember last week, we, we looked and we saw what it means to, to be set free from, from sin and to live under the reign of grace. Chapter 6 of Romans is fantastic. It's good news. We are dead to sin, but alive to Christ. And he finishes chapter 6, old Paul, by, by, by noting that... Uh, uh, where is it there? Uh, I can't find it. Anyway, he says at the end of chapter 6, he says we have been set free from the law. Verse 22. Can you read it for us, John? Exactly. We have been set free from sin. But, but actually, if we've been set free from sin, where does the law of God come in? Because the law is, is what tells us what sin is. And we've been set free from sin, so do we need the law? Can we cut out Leviticus and Genesis and Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, all of those books of the law, can we eradicate them because we are not under law, we are under grace. And Paul comes in his writing and he, 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 he says, you can almost see him stop and say, you know, I've been rather negative about the law so far. Uh, what have I said? I've, uh, I've said that... Um, said that it is the law which points out our sin. It is through the law that, that we die because of our sin. 
how do we deal with the law? Should we as a church have on our wall in big brass letters the Ten Commandments with like bold, Thou shalt not! Even though most of them are more positive than that. (laughs) Should we have the Ten Commandments on the wall? Should we be really strong in church discipline? So like if you do something that is bad, the elders and the pastor will visit you and they will stay with you until you cry in repentance. I know that there are some people here, the older older members of the congregation, who have been through church which has been so legalistic which if, if you danced, why well, you were just warming your feet up for hell. Should we just try harder as a people to please God? I kind of said last week at the end, try harder. Well, there's three ways we can respond to the law, which, which is God saying this is the right and proper way to live. Either we can go down the line of legalism. If we go down that line, the law is something that, that frightens us and holds us captive. That's what Paul addresses in the first six verses of chapter 7. Maybe the other option is not legalism, but libertarianism. So, if the law is a problem, let's get rid of the law. And we go down that line, we we end up hating the law of God. It's a dangerous thing to say, God, this is holy and good and right, and we hate it like anything else. That's, That's not good. What's the third option? I think Paul says this is the Christian option. We, we love the law of God. And we keep it. As a child growing up, I was among the most legalistic person you could ever find. I was convinced that, that rock music was of the devil. And it's crazy. I love this stuff now. My poor sister, two years older than me, would get the latest Christian rock music, uh, DC Talk, and she'd put it on, and I would go and switch it off and say, not in this house! I I was an arrogant little twerp. (laughs) It was horrible. And why did I behave like that? Because I was convinced that in order to be right with God, I had to do good enough. And I loved my sister, so I didn't want her to do the wrong thing. And that, that's legalism. That, that's saying, my salvation depends on what I do. And Paul, in the, in the first six verses of chapter 7, addresses this, and he's, he's so straight down the line. He says, legalism is not an option for Christians. 
If you know a Christian who is legalistic, tell them to read Romans chapter 7 because it's not an option. What does he do? He, he comes up in a, a great illustration from Paul here. He says, right, let's start with what we know. We know that, that the one thing which annuls all contracts, makes them null and void, is death. I owe $50,000 to the government for my university studies. If I were to die tomorrow, the government would have to write it off. The contract is null and void. They're very nice here. They don't pass it on to your family. The contract is null and void. And we know this, it's obvious. And Paul goes on, he says, right, let us take an example. Let's say marriage. Uh, those days, divorce, easy divorce, definitely not an option. Uh, according to Paul, according to Jesus, any divorce is really not an option. It's, it's the hardness of the heart that Moses permitted it. Anyway, what do we see here? We see Paul saying, right, we've got a woman, she's married to a bloke. If she decides that she, write, she likes bloke C over there a lot better than bloke A, then, then she can't just go off and, and start living with him. She does that. She's an adulteress because she has a contract with her husband, a marriage contract which says, I will be your wife, you will be my husband. And Paul says, don't you get this, guys? The only way she gets out of that is by dying. The only way to get out of marriage is, is to die. Sorry, if, if some of you wanted to. If you, or <laughs> you might want to test your porridge tomorrow morning. <laughs> if you were thinking about getting out of your marriage contract, see me, because it's not a good idea. And Paul says, you know, once a husband dies, the wife is free to to marry whoever she wants because her contract is gone. And we're sitting here going, right, Paul, kind of obvious. What does he say from there? He basically wants us to imagine our relationship with the law of God in terms of a marriage. I'm hoping most of you have good, happy marriages. Can you imagine being married to a person personifying the law? Perfect. Inflexible. Demanding. I frightened them off. <laughs> Doesn't tolerate any mistakes. In fact, if you make a mistake, you're cursed. That would not be a very happy marriage, would it? And Paul says, no, there's one option. You die. In fact, he's told us in chapter 6 that we have already died with Christ. And so the, the relationship that we have with the law in Adam, through Adam, since we are all human, we are, we are in this relationship with the law, but if we have died with Christ, that relationship, that legal bond to the law is broken. And why was that broken? It was broken so that we could be in a right relationship, not with the law of God, but with God Himself, with Jesus. 
And ultimately, that verse 4, the end of verse 4, that we might bear fruit to God. That we might do right. So why do we need to die with Christ? So that we can actually do the right thing. Because when we were still in this relationship with the law, we, 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 we couldn't do the right thing. We bore fruit to death, says Paul. It's kind of this, this God logic. You have to die to the law so that you can actually keep the law. Legalism, says Paul, is not in. Because in Christ we have died to the law. Okay, so the law is this, this nasty person. You don't want to be married to it. It's, it's horrible, horrible, horrible. Uh, and, and Paul says, let us get rid of the law completely. Yes. Well, no. He goes on in, in verse, verse 7. He, he says there, uh, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is it disgusting? Is it horrible? Don't even start thinking that way, says Paul. Certainly not. Don't even start that. Because the law is holy and right and good. And I love what Paul does from verse 7 forwards. He starts speaking, not in terms of one should do this, one should do that. He says, no. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you what happened to me. I. You'll notice from verse 14 to the end of the chapter, it's I, this, I, I, I. I was once naive in comparative innocence. I then encountered the law. I was then provoked to sin. I then died. This is, I think, Paul speaking of his life before he encountered Jesus. Because the law makes known what sin is to us. In Philippians 3 verse 6, Paul is able to say uh, that, that as far as legalistic righteousness was concerned, faultless, he was faultless. And when you looked at Paul, you said, that bloke is definitely going to heaven. He just does everything right. And you know, I'm sure if you looked at Paul before he became a Christian, apart from the fact that he was murdering Christians, you would say, this guy's okay. This guy keeps the rules. And if you were an upright Jew, you would be saying, what a brilliant guy is murdering Christians. And I love where Paul goes. He speaks about coveting the tenth of the Ten Commandments. What does he say about it? He says over there, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. You see, coveting is not one of the commandments that other people can see. Coveting is something inside. And Paul, in as much as he could put on the face for the people to see how wonderful a man he was, 
when he read through the law and he came to coveting, he looked at himself and he said, I am a coveter. I want. The chief end of man is to enjoy God and glorify Him forever, the the first line in the Westminster Catechism. It's true. Paul would have agreed with that as a Pharisee. He looked at himself and he said, I realize that I don't enjoy God the most. Instead, I put this other thing that I want and say, I want that more than God. It was only when Paul saw the law that he realized how fallen he was. But the law doesn't just show us our sin. It also, says Paul, it provokes us to sin. You know what? If, if, if I'm driving down the road and there is a speed sign which says 80, I think to myself, oh, I can do 85. Because I won't get too much of a fine. Adam and Eve, God said, there's a fruit tree over there. Don't want you to eat of it. Here is the commandment, do not eat of that tree. I'll tell you what, maybe we should eat of that tree. It's this human condition. If we're told we mustn't do something, we do it. (laughs) There's some great experiments that I saw a while back where they, they put a big button in a public space, big red button with a sign which says, do not push this button. And the number of people that walk past and push the button. It's what we do. The law provokes sin, reveals sin, but it also condemns sin, and rightly so, because verse 12, the law is holy and right and good, and and if it's holy, how can it abide something that is unholy? It has to condemn it. In fact, says Paul, the reason why sin is so terrible is that it takes the good law, the the holy law, the righteous law, verse 13, and it twists it, and it, it grinds it from being something that was meant to bring life into something which now brings death. It's, it's not the law, says Paul, which is bad. It is the sin within me that takes this good law and uses it against me. And Paul goes on and he changes tense in verse 14 to to the present tense, I now. And I read a lot of commentaries on this particular bit of, of Romans 7, and a lot of them say, well, you know, Paul wasn't speaking of himself when he said I. <laughs> and they make some good points, but... You know, if Paul was saying, let me give you an example, he would have written, let me give you an example. Because a lot of people say, how can Paul, an apostle, someone who has been set free from, from sin, someone who has died with Christ and been raised to life with Jesus and who now lives in new, newness of life, how can someone like that, someone like Paul, turn around and say in these verses, I in myself 
am a slave to sin. Sin has taken me captive. How can someone, a Christian like Paul, turn around and say, well, even though I've been set free, I'm still a captive? Now, let's start off and say this, this is about a Christian. Paul is speaking about himself. There's some hints in there. He calls himself unspiritual. He says in verse 18, nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. That's a very Christian thing to say, isn't it? You go to a non-Christian and say, what sort of a person are you? Yeah, I'm all right. It's a Christian who says, actually myself, pathetic. Christian realizes what we are. The other thing we know, this is Paul, this is a Christian, this is a believer, is that Paul recognizes how good the law of God is. Because Paul says it in in Romans 8, verse 3 or 7. He says, you know what? An unbeliever, an unbelieving mind towards the, the law of God hates it, cannot stand it, he doesn't think it's good. Paul in this passage, he said, the law's good, the law's wonderful, I want to do the law, it's fantastic, it's so wonderful, I want to please God. This is a Christian, this is, this is Paul himself. So is this normal for Christians? Is it normal for you? I get one head nodding. I'm afraid it's normal for me. I wish it wasn't. (laughs) It's normal in our experience. But you know what? I think this is meant to be abnormal in reality. What a wretched man. That's abnormal for a Christian to say that. This is a Christian I or you who is still a slave to sin. You know the story of Lazarus when he comes out of the tomb? We did it in Bible study on Monday. Um, I think we did it on Monday. Fantastic. He comes out Lazarus is standing there. He is raised to life. And everybody is just standing, look at him. And and Jesus says, well, go on, take the wrapping off him. This is the kind of thing we've got here. A person who is alive in Christ, but still got the wrappings around them. So what does Paul say? Let's, Let's rush through in the next three minutes. We've got three minutes to finish. Uh, Paul says, he he repeats himself in verses 14 to 17, and again in 18 to 20, you read them side by side, it's it's virtually identical. Paul, uh, this is just such a big thing, he he has to say it again, because he has to get the words right. How do I explain what is happening in here? It's so shocking, a situation. Uh, He acknowledges right at the beginning, I am a sinful man. 
And he starts off and he says, you know, there's two sides to me. There's, there's the side which is regenerate, which is in Christ, which is a new creation. And then there is this, this fallenness to me. I want to keep the law. I love the law of God. And yet I try and I try and I try and I try and I fail. It's like I've got a split personality, says Paul. The half of me wants to do good and half of me wants not to do good. So who's to blame? Is, is it the law that's to blame? No, we've already seen that. The law is good and, and holy and righteous. Is it me to blame? I, I know in my mind I, I am not of this life, of this world. I, I know in my mind that I want to serve God. I want to honor God. I know that I'm alive. Who is to blame? Sin. Living within me. That side of my personality, the, the wrappings around me, the dead self, which is, not, which is not yet decomposed, that's what to blame. How can a dead bit of me be to blame? Verse 21, because I've got two selves. And they're both there present until the time that Jesus comes when I will be completely like him but until then this dead part is still there I, I, am, I am a regenerate I am a Christian, I am a follower of Jesus and yet, and yet this fallenness is still there verse 22 and 23 we've got these two laws at work within me, the, the law of my mind versus the law of my body and, and they're fighting against each other and, and, and my body is, is just so used to sin, so so habituated to sin that, that it just goes ahead without me. And I say, no, and, and, and by the time I've, I've thought it through, it's already happened. I've sinned. And so we have that wonderful cry of verse 24 and 25. And a lot of people... Maybe you, when you read verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this, from this life of sin? From this body of death? Is that a cry of despair? Of, ah, I give up! Who will save me? That's not a cry of despair. That's not a cry of, I can't do it. Well, it is. It's a Christ saying, I can't do it. I just long that you would do it, God. In verse 25, it's a fantastic exclamation point to the question. Who will save me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He will save me from this because at the moment uh, I, I'm a slave to two masters, which is an impossible thing. I, I, I'm a slave to Christ, but also to sin at work within my unrenewed body.
that would, it would be so easy to, to stand up here and say, if you're feeling down, read chapter 7, because even Paul struggled. Now, if you're feeling down, read chapter 7, because even Paul struggled. But this is not meant to be normal. And yet it is. We, we all know that as we grow closer to God, we see more and more how sinful we are and how far fallen we are short of the glory of God. Uh, I forget who said it, but I've got a quote here. As many have found to their sorrow, the closer they come to the light, the more the cracks and the flaws show. The problem with reading chapter 7 of Romans as just a comfort for when we fail is that I think Romans 7 is Paul showing us the wrong way to deal with sin. Up until verse 24, 25. Because what we have here, I believe, is a picture of a Christian person convicted of sin and struggling in his own power to deal with it. And, you know, if, if, we, if we struggle in our own power to deal with sin, it'll, it's like a slipknot. It'll just grab tighter because we are powerless in ourselves. And we all do it. I mean, even Paul can say, you know what, I myself do this. I fall back into trying to, to solve my own sinful problem. until he realizes he comes to that depth where he realizes, I can't do it. Because our only hope is to cry out to God, would you save me? And chapter 8, read the first few verses when you get home. God has given us his spirit so that we may live by the Spirit. Notice chapter 7, the only mention of the Spirit is in, is in chapter 7, verse 6. It doesn't appear after that. The rest of it is trying to deal with sin and law and pleasing God in our own strength. And Paul says, no! Who will save me? I can't! Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And the war, says verse 25, is not over. And if we keep trying to battle sinfulness and we keep trying to please God in our own strength, we will fail and we will feel miserable and you will go about life as a Christian with a... But we have received power. with Christ in his death and raised with him in his resurrection 
Shall we triumph over sin? No, as long as we try to triumph in our own strength. But once we cry out to God, praise be to you, Lord God. Because what we need is what God promised in Ezekiel 36. I will give you a, a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart you a tender responsive heart and I will put my spirit in you he has indeed so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations because without God's spirit we can't now unto him who is able to keep you from falling to present you faultless before his presence and you there with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Father be glory and majesty and dominion and power forever and ever Amen Would you just come here, please? Um, shall we pray for them? I know Kevin said he wasn't planning to become a martyr in China, but... Uh, well, it's my birthday whilst we're away. Too. It is your birthday, so it wouldn't be a good present, but you know what God says? We, we plan and, and God does what he wants. <laughs>